According to Spurgeon, sermons ought to be rich in substantive, solid and abundant doctrine rather than empty orations. Preachers, serving as God's ambassadors, have a boundless range of subjects. Hence, there's no excuse for delivering hollow or threadbare sermons. The full gospel, the entirety of faith and the truth as it is in Jesus should be presented instructively from the pulpit. The purpose is not merely to have people hear the message, but to truly understand and know it. The structure and division of a sermon might be a useful skill, but it's futile if there's nothing of substance to divide. Similarly, delivering a well-phrased sermon within the allocated time might seem enough for some, but a true minister understands that the real worth of a sermon lies not in its delivery style, but in the truth it conveys. The absence of teaching can't be compensated by rhetoric. The most eloquent discourse is meaningless without the doctrine of God's grace. Even if a sermon is stylistically pleasing to an audience facing spiritual peril, mere elegance is inconsequential. It can be compared to a cloud passing over parched land without bringing any rain. Regardless of its beauty or grandeur, a sermon bereft of the gospel seed is considered a failure and a source of disappointment. No amount of stylistic appeal can outweigh the importance of substantive, soul-nourishing doctrine. Thus, for Spurgeon, the priority of preaching is not ornate language, but the conveyance of profound, life-altering truths. Also, Spurgeon compares the assessment of sermons to the evaluation of horses. Just as horses are evaluated by their physical traits such as limb, bone and blood, rather than their accessories, sermons should be evaluated by the quality of their content. He emphasises that sermons should be valued for the amount of gospel truth and spiritual potency they possess, not their length. Spurgeon encourages preachers to weigh their sermons, implying that they should be dense with substance, not thin with empty words. He warns against delivering sermons that are rich in words but poor in truth, describing such verbosity as a foolish act. Moreover, Spurgeon underscores his point by referring to the Shakespearean character, Gratiano, who is known for his lengthy speeches that carry little meaning. He suggests that no preacher should aspire to resemble Gratiano, whose speeches are like finding tiny grains of wheat hidden in vast amounts of chaff, a laborious and ultimately unfruitful task. By presenting this analogy, Spurgeon clearly communicates that the worth of a sermon is in its substance and truth, not its verbosity. The true value lies not in the quantity of words spoken, but in the quality and meaningfulness of the message conveyed. Furthermore, Spurgeon asserts the importance of combining passionate appeals with solid instruction in preaching. He criticises emotional revivalism devoid of teaching, comparing it to smoke without fuel. He urges that God's divine method, as illustrated in Hebrews 8.10, is to enlighten the judgment to subdue the passions and then to engrave the law in mind and heart. He quotes Googe, who advises ministers to instruct people in religious mysteries and then encourage them to apply this knowledge in action. Without this, their efforts would likely be in vain. Spurgeon criticises the neglect of this method as a primary reason for the mistakes and misinterpretations prevalent among believers. He warns that it is in the uninformed groups that the destructive influences of false doctrines thrive. He emphasises the need for sound, thorough teaching as the most effective defence against the spread of heretical ideas. This need, he suggests, has only grown in his time, with religious falsehoods wreaking havoc among uninformed believers, underlining the critical role of education in faith. In addition, Spurgeon emphasised the importance of spiritual knowledge and accurate interpretation of Holy Scriptures in sermons. 
He compared the absence of instructive truth in sermons with the absence of flour in bread, catastrophically deficient. Preachers, he argued, should be deeply versed in theology, so as to effectively communicate the underlying messages of the Holy Scriptures. He lamented the superficiality in many sermons, noting that even after listening to them for years, listeners might still struggle to get a sound understanding of the theology. Spurgeon criticised preachers who used fancy rhetoric to cover their theological ignorance. He believed that the substance and robust thought were more imperative than rhetorical flourishes. He further condemned eloquent but hollow sermons, noting that they turn pulpits into theatres of vanity and stir contempt rather than respect. Instead, Spurgeon recommended that sermons should be nutritious spiritual food for the populace. He warned that if preachers do not supply such spiritual sustenance, they become inconsequential, unhelpful and even harmful like Nero, who fiddled while Rome burned. Further, according to Spurgeon, a sermon must contain a substantial amount of information that is closely related to the biblical text it is based upon. The narrative of the sermon should, as a rule, arise directly from the text. While there is room for interpretation and adaptation, it is crucial that preachers do not stray too far from the original meaning and context of the scripture. A sermon must not just be remotely connected, but should maintain a significant relationship with its text. He mentions the example of a preacher, who, after receiving donations from a parish squire, related the gifts to biblical passages in his sermons. Spurgeon questions if the content of these sermons was truly pertinent to the chosen texts, or if the preachers were using the scriptures merely as a starting point to discuss other issues. Spurgeon criticises this approach, saying some preachers simply mention a text then move on to entirely different topics. By doing so, they use the Bible as a stepping stone to mount their unrestrained topics, rather than gaining inspiration and knowledge from it. Spurgeon closes by emphasising that the words of the Bible should not be misused to just transition into unrelated subjects. It is crucial for the preacher to maintain a meaningful connection between the sermon and its biblical text. Besides, Spurgeon suggests that the best strategy to maintain variety in preaching is to adhere to the specific intentions of the Holy Spirit in each scripture passage. He asserts that no two texts are exactly the same, each one has a unique context or direction, which gives even seemingly identical texts a distinct nuance. By following the path laid out by the Holy Spirit, preachers will constantly have fresh material and avoid repetition. Additionally, Spurgeon argues that a sermon that uncovers and reinforces the true words of the Bible speaks more powerfully to the conscience of the listeners than a lecture about Scripture would. This approach respects the dignity of the Scripture's divine inspiration. Spurgeon emphasises that preachers should not neglect the verse they profess to preach from in favour of their own interpretations or thoughts. The focus should be revealing the inherent message contained within the scripture, rather than imposing personal meaning onto it. Next, Spurgeon beseeches his fellow preachers to adhere strictly to the scripture's precise wording while preaching. He suggests that while topical sermons are permissible, sermons that originate from the exact words of the Holy Spirit are more beneficial and more appealing to the majority of the congregation. He argues people find great value in hearing the scripture's original words, explicitly explained and interpreted. These people may struggle to understand the underlying truth if it's detached from the precise terminology, but they gain a stronger understanding when preachers, like Mr. J of Bath, repetitively recite and expound each phrase. Therefore, it's recommended for preachers to provide abundant material drawn directly from the inspired word, as naturally as violets and primroses spring from the ground, or as honey drips from the comb. 
Spurgeon believes that this method of preaching allows the truth to fix more firmly on the listeners, thus leading to greater spiritual growth and understanding. Also, Spurgeon underlines the importance of substantive preaching. He warns against focusing on the theatrics or the style of a sermon at the expense of solid content. He criticises orators who concentrate on rhetorical flourishes rather than imparting significant understanding, using the example of John Henley, an orator known for his entertaining yet shallow sermons. Spurgeon advises preachers to build their sermons with gold, silver and precious stones, that is, with weighty and meaningful teachings, rather than wood, hay and stubble, or hollow superficial content. He cautions especially against the temptation to confound eloquence with verbosity or complexity, advising that even commonplace truths can have great value if given sincerely and directly. He criticises preachers who deliver sermons filled with flashy, bombastic language or verbosity that, while possibly entertaining, lack depth and substantive teaching. He likens such speeches to toy balloons, big and flashy to attract attention but ultimately empty inside. Moreover, he mentions that such sermons can contain erroneous teachings that can mislead the ill-informed. Furthermore, he assertively suggests that it is better to give the congregation raw truth, even if not presented elegantly, rather than serving them an ostentatious, elaborate discourse lacking in substance. He warns preachers against prioritising style over content, advising them to focus on delivering valuable teachings rather than showy expressions. In addition, Spurgeon emphasises the importance of transparency and truth when discussing the teachings of the Bible. He denounces the concept of withholding certain doctrines for a select few, asserting that all parts of the Gospel should be freely discussed and understood. He insists that clarity and comprehensiveness are important when spreading the Gospel, and rejects the idea that certain teachings might be too complex or metaphysical for the average reader. Further, he criticises the practice of cautious reticence, which he explains as being indirect or intentionally vague about one's beliefs, calling it cowardly and comparing it to betrayal. In contrast, he advocates for the bold proclamation of all parts of the Bible, as understood and interpreted by the reader. Spurgeon promotes a balanced approach when discussing the doctrines of the Bible. No individual doctrine should dwarf the others, nor should subtler ones be omitted. Like notes in a melody composed by a great musician, each doctrine must be presented in its appropriate context and emphasis, neither muting the bold nor magnifying the delicate ones. He concludes by emphasising the necessity of discussing all revealed truth in harmonious balance and asserts that this approach should guide all discussions about the Gospel. Besides, Spurgeon warns fellow preachers not to become too fixated on the minor details of theology or the abstract debates of higher-level doctrine but to focus more on the fundamental truths that are of direct and vital importance to practical Christian living and the soul's salvation. He emphasises that while every part of scripture is profitable, an exaggerated emphasis on one specific detail or doctrine can distort and disrupt a balanced and holistic preaching ministry. Believers need to be taught the full scope of scriptural truth without overemphasis on obscure doctrinal subtleties which can be both confusing and unhelpful for the average Christian struggling with day-to-day -day issues and seeking practical guidance and encouragement. Spurgeon is very aware of his listeners' needs, pointing out that complex theological discourses concerning such topics as sublapsarianism, supralapsarianism and the procession of the Holy Spirit, which may be valued by theology scholars, are of little practical use to a working-class widow struggling to support her family. Messages about God's faithfulness, Providence and loving-kindness, however, 
can provide much-needed comfort and strength in the trials of life. Spurgeon thus encourages preachers to prioritise preaching about God's mercy, made available through Jesus' atoning death, which is extended to the most repentant sinners who entrust themselves to him. He calls this the good news from heaven, implying that it should be the central subject of any sermon, accessible and applicable to all. Additionally, Spurgeon asserts that the delivery of the gospel requires our utmost faculties, our judgment, memory, imagination and eloquence. He warns against presenting the teachings of the cross casually or without deep thought, insisting that even the greatest intellects and the most eloquent speakers could not exhaust the vitality of its simple doctrine, believe and live. He urges believers to consistently preach the life-saving truths of Christ's crucifixion. Spurgeon criticises a minister whom he greatly respects for focusing on minute and less impactful topics, such as the symbolic interpretations related to the Bible's description of various objects and creatures, while neglecting the pressing issues of the times, that is, real-life sins and contemporary temptations. He likens this kind of preaching to a lion hunting a mouse or a battleship, pursuing a lost water barrel, highlighting its inefficacy. Spurgeon takes a dim view of those preachers whose sermons prioritise minutiae above soul-saving, comparing them to two ancient kings known for petty hobbies rather than their kingly abilities. He cautions against such triviality in religious service, deeming it unfit for someone of the stature of a heaven's emissary. He emphasises that the duty of the preacher should be the enrichment of spiritual life and the salvation of souls rather than the indulgence in inconsequential details. Next, Spurgeon comments on the prevailing mindset of his time, where people have an insatiable desire for novelty that mirrors the ancient Athenians. People brag about having new insights, believing such to warrant a form of divine inspiration that allows them to dismiss anyone outside of their immediate circle. Despite claiming to revel in major revelations, their discoveries often hinge on minor details of worship or obscure interpretations of prophecies. Upon witnessing their excessive fuss and noise about such inconsequential findings, Spurgeon is reminded of how the ocean is tumultuously stirred, either to carry a feather or to drown a fly. Analogies he uses to emphasise the disproportionality of their reactions compared to the gravitas of their revelations. Also, Spurgeon is lamenting over those who waste sermon time raising doubts about the authenticity of biblical texts or questioning its references to natural phenomena. He recalls a particular incident where the preacher used an entire sermon to question whether an angel truly stirred the pool at Bethesda. Knowing that the congregation expected guidance on salvation, he felt the sermon was a disservice and that it gave them a stone when they asked for bread. Spurgeon ends on a rather sarcastic note, insinuating that such uninspired sermons are unlikely to have resulted in a significant number of conversions. Moreover, Spurgeon emphasises the importance of clarity, conciseness and precision in delivering sermons. He discourages preachers from overwhelming their listeners with too much content in a single sermon and argues for the need to deliver sermons in a digestible and convenient form, much like a loaf of bread. His analogy of a field of wheat, where too much raw material is present but none fit for use, encapsulates his criticism of overfilled and poorly constructed sermons. Spurgeon laments what he sees as a diminished capacity for theology among modern listeners compared to their predecessors. He contrasts the endurance of previous generations, who could tolerate hours of pure, undiluted divinity, with the limited appetite of the contemporary audience, who he says require just an ounce of doctrine at a time. Thus, 
he urges for an effective dose of theological teaching, potent yet palatable. Spurgeon's perspective on sermon preparation underlines the need for focus. He encourages preachers to concentrate on a single thought rather than introducing numerous fleeting ideas that may not be remembered. He uses the metaphor of a sturdy, well-hammered nail, being more useful than a number of weakly inserted tin tacks to illustrate his point. Accordingly, he advises theological teachers to balance the richness of content with the ease of absorption for the audience. Furthermore, Spurgeon underscores the importance of maintaining a logical structure and order in constructing arguments and presenting ideas. In this context, he is specifically referring to preaching, but these principles could be applied to any form of communication. He discourages random and disjointed presentation of ideas, emphasising instead a methodical and structured presentation with an essential underlying logic. The various parts of a narrative or argument should be interconnected and have a particular sequence, proceeding from the foundation to the more advanced concepts, thereby providing a staircase of ideas that lead to a higher understanding. He sternly warns against disorderly array of thoughts or ideas, underlining the value of orderly knowledge dissemination, just like well-trained soldiers marching in formation. Spurgeon portrays a vivid image of how the thought process should be, analogous to an architectural structure, with the most basic and concrete concepts creating the foundation, making way for the more abstract and complex ones, which could be likened to topstones or the pinnacle. Stressing the importance of order, he likens each argument to a door, guiding the listener towards a room where truth is revealed in God's light. He advises preachers to assign each idea or truth its place, similar to components of a well-designed structure. He cites order as the quintessence of heaven and essential for its emissaries on earth. His fundamental takeaway is that a structured and methodically arranged delivery is crucial for effectively imparting knowledge and understanding. In addition, Spurgeon strongly advocates for clear and definitive theological teaching. He asserts that in order to teach effectively, one must first fully understand their own beliefs and avoid muddled thinking. While some may be drawn to philosophical speculation, Spurgeon cautions it often leads to confusion rather than clarity. He criticises sensational writers who attempt to modernise theological teaching, suggesting this often leads to distorted understandings. Spurgeon critiques the compulsion to keep up with contemporary trends, including in theology, arguing that it does not guarantee a better grasp of the subject matter. In his opinion, erroneous theological writings are often propagated by ministers who feel the need to broaden their understanding, but inadvertently spread half-truths. Spurgeon's solution is for teachers to focus on clear scriptural doctrine, avoiding unnecessary complexities and complications. By delivering undiluted truths in an easily comprehensible manner, ministers can truly serve their congregation. This approach not only nurtures more profound personal faith, but also contributes to the growth of the community. Further, Spurgeon urges preachers to avoid monotony in their sermons, challenging them to keep the content as fresh and diverse as possible. He disapproves of mechanically repeating the same few doctrines, using the metaphor of a theological barrel organ with a limited number of tunes. His criticism extends to those who resort to harsh and vitriolic condemnation of theological opponents. Spurgeon asserts that, while such critical reproach might be key to a certain kind of preaching, it overshadows the importance of understanding and appreciating a vast spectrum of religious truths. He upholds the importance of appreciating the full richness of divine grace and sovereignty, but cautions against willful ignorance of other divine truths. He advocates for a comprehensive proclamation of God's counsel and instructions, 
as this would lead to a more effective and impactful sermon. Spurgeon recommends the use of new metaphors and anecdotes from personal experiences as a means to enrich the sermon and keep it engaging for the audience. He insists that sustained, authentic engagement will inevitably win over listeners, suggesting that God himself guides this compelling communication. By enriching sermons in this way, preachers can avoid repetition and provide their audience with diversified spiritual nourishment. Besides, Spurgeon encourages constant growth and deepening in one's spiritual journey and teaching. He underlines it is not about bringing out new truths, but deepening and advancing what is already known. He commends those who maintain their teachings over the years, without having to recant or grieve over what was omitted. Spurgeon uses the example of Timothy and Paul, advocating for continual development in one's spiritual journey. He calls out those who stay with their early teachings, calling them superficial and suggesting they be discarded or mourned over. Progress, even slow in Christ's school, is a sign of a healthy inner life. Without progress, it raises questions about the person's spiritual well-being. He concludes by encouraging the pursuit of spiritual growth, highlighting that none have yet attained complete wisdom, emphasising the grace needed to keep growing. He blesses his readers, hoping they will become proficient ministers of the New Testament, on par with the greatest preachers. However, he humbly reminds them that in their own right, they are still nothing. Additionally, in Spurgeon's perspective, a sermon should be delivered with energy and effect, working as a thrust to deeply impact its audience. He underscores the importance of choosing substantial, powerful themes from divine revelation rather than simply focusing on moral themes, which he likens to using a wooden dagger. This is because the key doctrines of religion not only stir the conscience, but also reach into the heart, setting them apart as effective tools for transformation. He emphasises the importance of remaining steadfast champions of a gospel that can win souls. He asserts that God's truth is designed for man, and God's grace moulds man to fit this truth. He analogises this interaction to a key that can wind up the musical box of man's nature, implying that religious teachings have the power to harmonise human nature, enlivening it with a divine melody. Spurgeon strongly advises adhering to the traditional gospel, asserting it as the ultimate power leading to salvation. He urges us to use it daily, highlighting the belief that consistent exposure to these religious teachings can catalyse spiritual growth and salvation. He appears to be advocating for a deep and persistent engagement with the substantial truths found in the Gospel, which, in his view, have the power to deeply affect and transform human beings. Last but not least, Spurgeon advocates for the primary focus of preaching to be Christ. He believes Christ embodies the complete Gospel, encompassing his being, roles and deeds. His teachings are crucial to the world, providing the path to salvation and justifying faith. He encourages greater incorporation of these principles and other profound doctrines in the Church's teachings for societal betterment. He suggests that if the zeal of Methodism can be combined with the doctrine of Puritanism, it could ignite a transformative fire against erroneous beliefs and kindle spiritual warmth in an otherwise cold world. Preaching, according to Spurgeon, should not veer towards philosophy or metaphysics, but should centre on the straightforward gospel. He highlights the core messages of man's downfall, the necessity for rebirth, atonement-based forgiveness, and faith-resultant salvation. He warns against any learning or ignorance that distracts from this mission. Spurgeon expresses concern over the potential for distractions, such as prophecy interpretations, 
church politics or systematic theology to draw focus away from the essence of Christ's cross. He advocates for the active promotion of salvation and a consistent focus on the crucified Christ, dismissing speculative prophecies or predictions about Antichrist as less consequential diversions. Spurgeon deems the act of rescuing a soul from damnation as a greater achievement than being deemed a master theologian or solving religious mysteries. Ultimately, he emphasises that the most blessed ministry is the one in which Christ is everything. In conclusion, Spurgeon states that for preachers, substance is more critical than style. This means a sermon should be rich in doctrine, full of truth, and not just eloquent speech. He compares sermons to horses, which are judged by their physical attributes, not their accessories. In the same way, the value of a sermon lies in the quality of its content, not its length. Sermons should be comparable to nutritious spiritual food rather than empty orations. He stresses that sermons should maintain a significant connection with the scripture they are based upon, offering a fresh perspective inspired by the Holy Spirit for each passage. Next, Spurgeon addresses diverse strategies for sermon delivery. He advises against focusing on minor theological details, recommending instead emphasis on fundamental truths directly related to practical Christian living and soul salvation. He criticises striving for novelty or modernisation in theological teaching and advocates for clear scriptural doctrine. He encourages sermons to avoid repetition and provide diversified spiritual nourishment. Also, Spurgeon insists on clarity, conciseness and maintaining a logical structure in sermons to aid in knowledge absorption for the audience. According to Spurgeon, Christ should be the central focus of preaching. The teachings of Christ are essential for the world offering a path to salvation and justifying faith, and should therefore be the primary focus in church teachings. He warns against distractions, including prophecies or church politics, and urges preachers to consistently centre on the essence of Christ's cross. To Spurgeon, saving a soul from damnation is a greater achievement than being a master theologian or solving religious mysteries.